Backchat Studios is a part of the ACAST Creator Network. Head to backchatpodcast.com.au to sign up as a patron and access all of our merch. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yesterday morning, I woke up to just the regular sound of my alarm and it wasn't that, you know, that different of a morning, Ben, um, here in the Backchat Basketball Show. But I looked at Twitter, which is a, what I often do as an American sports fan. I, um, you know, everything happens overnight. You miss out on a lot. At around, um, you know, 6.30, woke up, about nine text messages from people. Um, Twitter was going burko. Kyrie Irving is a is a Texan. He's a Dallas Maverick, um, and I didn't know how to feel. Uh, I'm I'm sort of a bit lost for words. So Ben, what, what about you? How did, how did you sort of see that happening? Uh, I think we just have to talk about you here in a safe space for the next forty five minutes because we've got a tremendous run sheet of things to talk through. But man, what? Why? Yep. Why Why would your Mavericks do this? I get how desperate they are and Luca needs some help. Yep. But my one thought yesterday morning was that in 18 months when Luca's on the LA Lakers, yesterday is the no. day we're going to point back to and uh, see that at the beginning of the end because why are they trusting Kyrie Irving? I have no idea. All right, we'll get back to that soon. Uh, but first, backchat underscore basketball on Instagram is where you can find us there and then you can email us hello at backchatpodcast.com. .au. We have a show coming out every Wednesday. Now, this is a Tuesday we're recording this because we're just doing things a little bit different. Um, we had a lot of things going on this week. But so firstly, off the bat, you're going to be listening to this on Wednesday and the NBL awards are going to be announced tonight, the winners. So we are going to be out of date. We're going to make our assumptions and they're going to be wrong because they're going to be, a, uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, we're going to do some NBA stuff, obviously Kyrie Irving, the big news. But um, Ben, you're in Melbourne now. I'm over in Perth. And this is how we're going to be doing our podcast from now on. Greg's going to jump on. We're going to have some guests. I've been trying to hit up Paul um, Paul Smith from mm. uh, from the Sydney Kings. We've been sort of been talking to a guy who knows a guy who's, who's said, yep, he's keen. Bring it. He's going to come along. Um, Can we also- invite Tim Gossett on for that chat as well? No, I don't think Tim Gossage will will be joining us for that chat. Um, I think um, you know. Do you need access? Do you need to go get your dinner from the microwave there, Ben? Are you? Are you... Uh, there's a, a mystical meal getting cooked downstairs, Dan. So yeah, that's I might great. have to just uh, bring this forward next time. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, no, Gossage. Um, I'm not sure he would come on the show to be honest. Uh, look, I, I don't know if he if he likes what we do over here or not, but um, not not someone that we're going to really talk too much about. Um, and, of course, the plan, like I said, the plan tournament for the NBL is coming up. Who plays who? I honestly don't know. I even messaged someone at the Wildcats. I was like, what's the deal with the schedule? And he said, I don't know. We just don't really know yet. So it is all up in the air, but that's all right. We'll talk to uh, that later. Let's first get back to Kyrie Irving, who is Let's a Dallas Maverick. So Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Mark – sorry, Spencer Dinwiddie. 
Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith were sent to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris, and some, and some picks went to Brooklyn as well. Um, there's a 2029 first round in there. There's a couple of second rounds. That 2029 is an unprotected first round pick. So if the Mavs end up with the pick number one of the draft, that is going to the Nets, which is very exciting just in case that does happen. Um there's a lot of the, there's a lot of un, to unpack here with the Kyrie Irving thing. So if you don't really follow NBA, if you're an NBA guy um, or girl, Kyrie Irving has been like this really polarizing figure in the NBA over the past two years or so. Um, it it can basically go all the way back to let's just start even at the um, he gets traded to Brooklyn and it's sorry he gets traded to Boston. Now, there's a, a stacked team and Kyrie Irving comes along and you think, well, they're going to be the champions for the next two or three years. An, an amazing team. Kyrie Irving, for various reasons, decides he wants to trade. He wants out of there. Just messes with the Celtics. Messes messes them up a bit. So then he goes to the, to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Now, from there, he teams up with Kevin Durant. Again, fire team. Like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, absolute fire, just an amazing duo, probably at the time, the best duo in the NBA. Then COVID happens and the vaccine mandate comes in and Kyrie Irving says, I'm not getting vaccinated, which is fine. You could do whatever you want. I'm not getting vaccinated and sits out for, did he sit out for an entire year? Ben? He played about 30 games last year, which is coincidentally how much he seems to average every season, but yes. uh, kept yes. going with your wonderful diatribe. So he he sits out a bunch of games because he doesn't want to get vaccinated and goes, no, I'm I'm not going to – I'll get fined. I'm not going to get my money, whatever. I'm just not going to play. Um, again, fine. Do do whatever you want to do. But in terms of a team environment, there would be people that would be sort of, you know, a little piffed that he was making that decision. Let's fast forward a little bit further. And um, this documentary starts to circulate, which has anti-Semitic sort of um, propaganda in there. It's not – necessarily like a, a film about anti-semitic like it's just got the themes of it and it's been promoted by certain people around the world that you probably don't want to have things promoted by uh, people promoted them Kyrie Irving tweets it out and creates controversy uh, gets suspended by the Brooklyn Nets without pay um, until he apologizes refuses to apologize uh, that's just a really brief. And there's other things there. He was burning sage at the Boston at the Boston home home game one one time when he went back there. There's a lot of things about Kyrie Irving that are incredibly polarizing. On the flip side, he's one of the best players in the NBA. Like when he's at his prime, he's a top ten player. He's arguably got the best handles maybe ever. I've heard people say that. He's an incredible, incredible talent. Um, and when he's on the on the court and he's playing well, he's insanely good so the Dallas Mavericks go let's go and try and get that Kyrie Irving and swing for the fences risk it all because he's not even under contract anymore after this season so it could just be a six-month rental and see what happens so that's a really quick speed you up to what's happening in there with my team the Dallas Mavericks and Kyrie Irving I think it's a shame that I'm in Melbourne because I feel like you need a hug for right now after oh, all of man. that. man. <laughs> it was just even just the text messages I was getting from people like, hey, man, so sorry to hear. Um, things like that. <laughs> that just, there was no context. It was just those sorts of text messages. Like everyone knew. Um, so what do you think? Like what's what's best case scenario here for the Mavericks? What, what would you think would be like an absolute win for them with this trade? I think a realistic best case is that they make the conference finals again 
this year and if they get a few injuries in their way in the West and a couple of things break right, then maybe they get to the finals. But that's best case. And I have to admit, I would not go anywhere near the Kyrie Irving business if I was in charge of a team. So I also saw him described yesterday as the worst teammate of all time in any sport. And I think there's some logic in that because you articulated it all perfectly there. It was a great five-minute summary. (laughs) And the through line is there that everywhere he goes, chaos follows. And really, I know that he hit that one shot in 2016 to win the championship. But if you take that one shot out of his resume, he would have one of the most disappointing careers of any number one pick relative to their talent, relative to the positions they've been in. Of anyone, because you look at who he's played with. He played with LeBron James. He played with Jason Tatum, with Jalen Brown, with Kevin Durant, with James Harden. He's won one championship, which is obviously great. But since winning that championship and making the finals in 2017, it's been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And with your Mavs, yeah, they're going to have a tremendous offense. Like if you look at the X's and O's on the court, no one is stopping this team. They can score 150 points every night. That's all well and good. But Josh Green is their perimeter defense now. I saw a tweet online making a joke about their whole back line being this one Australian guy, and it was Josh Green. And it's true now. So they're not going to be able to stop anyone. And I think you can beat any team in the NBA in a series doing that. But I can't see them winning four series at all with the team they've got, let alone probably even making three. And if you were to make me say what's more realistic, making the finals or losing in the first round, I'd pick losing in the first round. And just I could imagine all hell breaking loose in Dallas if this goes bad because you touched on it there. He could be a free agent in four months. And yep. would it surprise you at all if the Mavericks flame out in the first round? If the Lakers have cap space, would it surprise you at all if Kyrie changes his mind again and decides he wants to go to LA? Not at all. And that's that is the ultimate risk. That let's we did, you know, you I asked you about best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that uh yeah, we've traded um Dinwiddie, who you know has played well for the Mavericks, he's not like we've lost an absolute star in him. Dorian Finney-Smith, again, a great role player, um, started in in the conference finals. Like he, in a, a great talent, three and D guy, um, super guy to have on your team. You know, great teammate. Um, and then, so we've given up them potentially. Then Kyrie plays. It's a rental. He decides to decides to sign a, a free agency deal at the end of the season, and he's gone. And now the Mavs have a huge gaping hole. They've got all this cap space. And what we've learned about the Dallas Mavericks over the past forever is that they do not sign big free agents when they have cap space. The amount of times they've gone in, Mark Cuban and co, with these big, huge paydays. Like we could pay a player any more than anyone, right? And they always fall short and they end up signing these sort of like second tier pieces to fill up and go, all right, we're going to retool and go again next year. That's worst case. And then following on from that, Luca goes, you guys are uh, an absolute schmozzle. You, you sort of messed up with the Chris Stabs deal. That wasn't, that wasn't a great situation for them. They let Jalen Brunson walk. They had an opportunity to sign him for four years for $54 million. And they said, no, we're going to just wait. Um, and and see how it goes. And then they offered him a deal in the offseason. That was too late. He's gone to the Knicks. Uh, just some decisions that are questionable for Mavs fans about the team. And I can imagine Luca going, boys, like, you've got something here. And if you're going to waste my time, I'm going to go elsewhere because he could literally go to every other team like and and find something. So 
it's a, it is a big, a big risk. Now the people that I've sort of spoken to that um, over in Dallas, I've had some, like I said, texts and calls and everyone's coming out of the woodwork. Um, apparently the Mavericks aren't done. So this whole s- sort of the way that the team looks now, yes, on the defensive end, they would get absolutely pummeled, but we're hoping, well, I'm hoping as a fan that they aren't done yet. And there are still some deals to be done um, before. Uh, so it's Thursday night, our Friday morning, the trade deadline where they could get another piece or two to complement that. And if they get a good piece for um, a, a guy who's on an expiring contract, the Mavs could have a very solid um, squad moving forward, but it's hard to know if that's going to happen or not, but Man, they they are absolutely swinging for the fences for this, and like it's got to pay off. It it is so so risky. Yeah, well, I think I actually I'll quote Rosillo here. I was listening to his podcast this morning, and he was having the same conversation that like best case you have a deep playoff run, Kyrie Irving resigns, but what's the reward of that? Kyrie Irving resigns for four years and two hundred million dollars, and yep. do you trust that guy to show up for the next four years? Yeah, no, I no. would not do. <laughs> anything remotely close to Kyrie because I think the Mavericks are stuck now and they're starting to remind me more and more of LeBron James in Cleveland circa 2007. Yep. Everything this franchise is doing, it's mistake after mistake. It's dating myself a little bit, but back in the day, the Cavs did the exact same thing with Carlos Buda that the Mavs did with Jalen Brunson last year. They had this young player on their team. They refused to pay him what they could, so Booza played them and he left. And then the Cavaliers spent the next three years trying to cycle in aging players. Remember, Ben Wallace went there. Shaq went there. Um, I forget who else. Delonte West was there. Antoine Jameson was there. Like Players at the time that were not as talented as Kyrie, but they're on the downslope of the career. And the writing was on the wall in 2008 that LeBron was going to leave two years later and head to maybe not Miami, but head out the door. And again, I might have sounded a bit forward at the front, but I honestly think that Luca's time in Dallas is numbered now because they've made this move. Best case, they have to win a championship over the next couple of years because if they don't, we know what this league tells us, that players of Luca's calibre are going to leave because they're going to want to win a championship. And the only caveat to that is if the team can trade for a player or players to bring them in and compliment them. And the Mavs don't have enough picks. They've traded out their best role players now. They've got a couple of good young players in Josh Green, but that's about it. And as I say, I do not trust them to advance into the postseason. And I was half joking about Luca being on the Lakers in 18 months, but I wouldn't be surprised one iota if this blows up in Dallas. Luca doesn't advance out of the first round again. I can see you squirming. And his career takes him somewhere else because, yeah, it's almost like the Mavericks almost were like that guy at the bar at 2 in the morning. They were just trying to fall in love with a superstar and Kyrie was the one that walked through the door. And now they've got to go home and make their bed and they've got Corey Irving to live with for the next, well, it might be three months, it might be three years, who knows. On some positives um, with the trade, that Josh Green had the best game of his career uh, today against the Utah Jazz. So he got 29 points, six rebounds, two assists. He was unreal. Amazing. Like, it just such, it looked so confident. There was no hesitation. He looked so comfortable like maybe maybe this will be the uh the known as the Josh Green trade. I mean he wasn't traded, but you know, if if he becomes anything of what Dorian Finney Smith is, they obviously believe he can and more because they 
they they let go of Dorian Finney-Smith. So Josh Green obviously fills that spot. If he can continue to play and look, I think today is a blip. He's not going to put up 30 or 29 points every game. And, and a lot of the ball was given to him because of the players that they had out. Um, look, if he's giving the Mavs 13, 14 points, five rebounds, you know, a couple of steals, he's, he's hitting down the three point shot at a, you know, at a good rate, 38, 40%. You'd be, would be absolutely stoked with that. And look, I think, if that is something uh, that comes out of this, that he's been given a bit more opportunity and he can grow, then that's really good for the Dallas Mavericks. He's young, he's feisty, and he's loved by like the by Luca, which is really important, and by the franchise, obviously because they're backing him in. Um, so that's a, been a really that was a real positive today, as well as um, Hardy scoring twenty nine points. Their rookie, who the Mavs fans just desperately want him to play forty eight minutes a night because. He's a new shiny rookie, um, but he put up twenty nine as well. Like very good game from those two. They did. They played well this morning, and we've spoken about Josh quite a bit over the last few months. He has a great game, and we've spoken a couple of times over the course of the season how he is, in theory, a perfect guy to have around Luka Doncic. Shoots the yep. ball, plays defense, selfless player, moves the ball, and just is not going to lose you games. He's going to do those little things that add up to wins, and. You're right that looking forward after this trade is made, I think they need to be starting Josh Green. Or if not starting him, he needs to be finishing games in Dallas. Yep. Because he is one of the rare players on that team now that can do those 3 and D skills at both ends. He can knock down the three ball. But his defense is needed. So glass half full, first from an Australian perspective, it's great that he's going to be getting big minutes and big playoff minutes. But again, from a Mavs point of view, the downside of that is if Josh balls out over the next three months, they're going to have to pay him $30 million a year starting next year. So again, that's not a problem for right now. That's a longer term problem. But when it comes to this season, you're right. He is so vital for them. And as well this morning, it was the first game they've won without Luka Doncic all year. I believe Mm. they were 0-7 before this morning. And I think the one positive on the court of Kyrie coming in is I think Luka needs to let go of the ball a little bit. Like we know how amazing he is and he can... Anytime down the floor when it gets to a one-on-one setup, he can take over and get his shots. Mm-hmm. And in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, then definitely go do your thing. But over the course of 48 minutes, the ball needs to move more in Dallas. They need to get out into transition a little bit, and they need to get the other guys touching and feeling the basketball and getting involved. So I think offensively, I can see the the thought process, I suppose, for Dallas in that sense. That if Kyrie comes in, he gets a bit more of the ball, the ball is moving a little bit more. Then maybe Luca is a bit more rested down the end of games. Of course, that depends on him being on the floor. But again, back to Josh. If he can convert shots like he did this morning, then he becomes a valuable player. And hopefully that's enough to get the trust of Kyrie and Luca. because if you can get the trust of those superstar guys, then this offense could even elevate, which is a bit scary. But defensively, yeah. it's a different story. And well, you tell me, as a Mavs fan and someone that wants the best for this team, what do you, in your heart of hearts, what do you think is going to happen this season? What is a realistic best case scenario? Look, after this trade, if nothing else happens, then I'd say, look, they're two wins out of third on the West. That's how wide open it is. They're, they're two wins behind third spot. Um, th- there's no reason why they can't win enough games to be top four. I reckon if they don't make any more moves, maybe they get out of the first round. Maybe. But that's not where they want to be. Like, that's not why they made a Kyrie Irving trade to maybe get out of the first round. So they're going to have to make more moves. And look, if they if they can get another solid piece, a defensive piece, and um, someone that can, you know, they've lost um, Spencer Dinwiddie, who who really carried the bench um, 
the bench squad uh, when Luca was off. Like, are they going to need someone who can carry the ball and and do more of that? Um, in the second unit. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. So by the time this uh, podcast comes out, potentially there'll be more moves that happen and I'm going to look like a fool, but um, uh, hopefully the Mavs will do something. And from what I'm hearing, there's, you know, more to be done. Um, I did one little thing last thing about Josh Green before we move on to some uh, NBL stuff. Um, someone asked Josh Green how he found out about the Kyrie Irving trade, and he said that uh, he doesn't have Twitter, so he just was having a shower, and he got out of the shower, and he had about 20 text messages on his phone. And at that moment, he's like, oh, well, I'm, I've been traded. Like, that was his initial thought. So um, obviously he didn't, but he was finding out about Kyrie getting traded. So that would be a, a rough ride to be on. Um you know, what, around trade time. If he was talking to his uh, friends, Ben Simmons and Paddy Mills in uh, Brooklyn, what do you think they'd be telling him in the heart of hearts? Would it be a uh, good luck, mate? Enjoy having this guy as a teammate? Oh, to be honest, Pat, like, I reckon Ben isn't in any, any position to be saying good luck, okay? So I think he's um he'd probably be keeping pretty quiet. And that's if I was him, that's probably the best move. Um, NBL awards season is well and truly upon us tonight. Um, Tuesday night, well, Wednesday, last night, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, all the awards will be given out. Now, I don't really want to, like, we've been going on about the awards and everyone's been talking about it. Zave Cooks, Bryce Cotton. It's really out of those two. And someone's going to be really, um, there's going to be an entire state that's completely pissed off when the winner is announced. Um, the only thing I do want to talk about uh, about it is how annoying it would be for the team. So um, people at the Perth Wildcats, and this would be the same for every franchise in the league, haven't been told who's winning. So I know some of the guys that are you know working on you know graphics and videos and stuff like that for you know um, they got to do all the stuff. In, in advance, you know, so that as soon as it's announced, they can tweet it and they can do all their videos and stuff like that. They're just making all this stuff, all these like congrats, Bryce MVP videos and graphics just on the off chance, just because the NBL won't tell them who wins. It's like, it just seems such an odd way of doing things to waste a bunch of people's time making all of this stuff for no reason, potentially. Well, look, I've got to admit, I did listen to your podcast with Greg uh, last week as I was yep. moving around Melbourne and you had a good conversation about the voting process and I didn't know that Greg was involved with it. Mm. And it's yeah, funny you mentioned them wasting everyone's time. This whole voting process, not to get my soapbox, just waste everyone's time. There's no need for this whole process to be as convoluted as it is. We've got people getting shortlisted and the captains and coaches voting. Like it's this whole awards process with the NBL. I have to say it strikes me as something that's done to generate clicks and interest as opposed to actually rewarding the best players. It doesn't seem that hard to pick 10 people and they vote 3-2-1 for the MVP award to every award like they do in the NBA. And then, like you say, the NBA tried the whole awards night and realised it wasn't the coolest way of doing business and they have more of an organic feel now where they're actually awarding the players throughout the postseason and making it less of a one-evening event. So, yeah, I think... The NBL award system needs renovations from all the way up. We've got what you mentioned about the clubs having no idea, which, again, is a pretty standard affair with the NBL. They tend to keep their clubs in the lurch. But with this voting whole situation specifically, I was laughing, to be honest, listening to Greg talk last week because it yeah. seems so complex. When it just doesn't have to be, does it? You give 10 media people the votes, let them pick it, and we get a situation where the MVP 
again, I might look foolish, but I think Xavier Cooks are going to win that tonight. He should win that. He is, in my eyes, clearly the MVP. I don't think it's a debate. But then you've got awards like the the next gen player slash the rookie of the year player slash the best young player. Yep. Like again, that doesn't have to be so complex. Just simplify the process down, and you're going to get a much better product. And like you say, loop the clubs in so they know what's going on. It doesn't seem that hard. Yeah, exactly. Now we are um, into the play-in tournament. We we speculated for so long who was going to get those top six spots. Melbourne missed out. You couldn't you couldn't miss out on a narrower margin, could you? They they um they had a very good win um, on the Sunday on the last game of their season. They won by nine points, which meant that the Perth Wildcats were then. You know, put on the spotlight. The Wildcats had to come through and win their own game, win against Sydney, who who obviously top of the ladder, only lost eight times. Um, a quarter of those losses coming from the Perth Wildcats, uh, if you want to put it like that. Um, then the Perth Wildcats had to win by 11, and it was very tight at the end. So uh, a couple of things. Firstly, back in the Melbourne game, Chris Goulding had a shot um, at the buzzer, it was was it like a half court sort of shot? It was half it was, court at half time, wasn't it? Half court at half time. It was. I'm not sure if it was originally ruled a three, but I think they thought it was a three, and it was like in his hand for um, like three millimeters of his finger was touching the ball when the when the um, when the buzzer went off. So that didn't count, obviously. Um, and so there's a lot of talk. Like if that went down, Wildcats would have had to win by 14, um, which changes everything. Or maybe maybe it would have been slightly more. Um, and so that made for a very interesting final two games of the NBL season. They couldn't have scripted it any better, um, but the Wildcats come through, and, and apparently the the, the team, um, the players didn't know how much they had to win by to get into this play-in tournament. So the coaches knew, but the players had no clue. So I guess John really would have just been telling them, we are playing like every possession we're losing, and because, like... I don't know how you do that without telling them how much you need to win by. Do you, do you believe that? Because I do not believe that. Bryce Cotton, speaking after the game, they interviewed him a minute after the game finished and yep. he basically referenced that they got through by a point. Now, maybe some players on the team that aren't as uh, basketball IQ skilled, but yep. nice, they might not have known. But, yeah, I'm not buying that. I did see John really's press conference and we do love Josh on this – John, sorry, not Josh, John yep. on this podcast, but he was telling some porky pies, I think, because – yeah. If you're a player on the um, the thing, I actually like taking it back a step is how much Sydney wanted to knock the Wildcats out of the postseason. Like, oh I'm yeah. So that. so the Wildcats were up by I think twelve with um, about twenty seconds. To More go. than that, they were up by twenty one with three minutes left. Yeah, and yeah, it that's should have right. been done. And yeah, then the Wildcats right. just took their foot off the gas. And our friend Paul Smith was saying it in the press in the morning, and Sydney was backing it up, and they come came back and came back. Yep. And you're right, with four seconds left, there was a timeout called Sydney were down 12 yeah, points, which means the Wildcats win the postseason by like, one. That's right. You Usually usually at that point, you just run the ball out, but they were fouling. Like, they definitely knew how, how many points they needed to beat them or to not lose by um, to avoid. And that was, that was funny because, like, I don't know, like, does that mean that they were hoping that, uh, like, are they scared of the Wildcats? Would they prefer to see maybe Melbourne later on down the track? Are they, are they thinking we do not want to see the Wildcats in the postseason? I don't even think it's that. I'm becoming a bit of a member of the Sydney propaganda here. But I just think the Sydney Kings are a championship tied side, sorry, that likes trolling the league, like doing things their way. And again, they should come out and try to knock the Wildcats out of the players. I know a lot of Perth fans were up in arms about that. But rules reversed if Perth was playing in Sydney and had the chance to eliminate Paul Smith's team on the final day of the season. 
I could bet everything I've got that our friends on Catch At would be oh, wanting yeah. the Wildcats to do that job and to get one over the team that is their biggest rival. And we all bemoan so much about in sports about tanking and games not meaning anything. Yeah, on the flip side, when a team actually takes things seriously and tries to win, there's some backdash coming back at them. So, again, yeah. massive respect for the Sydney Kings for doing that. I think that if the Wildcats are lucky enough to face the Kings next week, I think they're probably going to get swept out of the postseason. Don't tell Greg. But, again, the Wildcats got in there. They get to play the Phoenix in two nights. And maybe, just maybe, they can win that and get through to a round against Sydney, which would be a good drama next week. Yeah, so we're not, So what, basically what will happen is if, if the Wildcats beat – Southeast Melbourne, um, then Cairns, then they'll play Cairns or Tassie, depending on who wins there. So yeah. it's it's a long road. It's not just like they win one game and then they're in the top four, uh, final four. Like there's still things that need to happen in order for them to um, be considered in the playoffs. And I know that's been even a point of contention, whether or not they've officially made the playoffs or not, because the NBL came out and said they've restarted their, you know, their, um, their run of, of postseason and, Andrew Bogut wanted to get in there and say, well, didn't technically, you know, it's not technically even in the playoffs. I think there was other Sydney people. They just really don't like the Wildcats or, or don't like the NBL giving anyone else props, I think. Yeah, well, uh, I think Hutchie was the most relieved man in Australia on Sunday night because this might sound a bit of an insight into my soul, but I think my favourite scenes on Sunday was watching the close-ups of Hutchie in the crowd and just seeing the stress of a man that knew 14,000 people were about to turn on him if Sydney made that oh, yeah. last shot at the end. Could could yeah. you have imagined the crowd at the end of that game? Yeah. If that last shot from Sydney went down, the Perth locals would have been feral. Oh, of course. And look, I, I still think there will be a little bit of that. If they if if they go to well, they're in Melbourne now, if they lose to South East Melbourne, they they were a point out of the playoffs, uh, sorry, out of the play in and then if they lose that game, then they were never really even in with a chance. So I still think there's a lot of sentiment from Wildcats fans that they aren't happy with how ownership's done it. I don't think getting into a plane has um, sort of covered any of the wounds of the last two years just yet. But, mate, now it's all zero zero. I know it's such a cliche, but who, who knows what happens now? Luke Travers was amazing. Um, yeah. He played one of his best games ever. Bryce Cotton was awful, played one of his worst games ever. If things just click into place, who knows? Maybe they'll make a movie about this um, in the future about the Wildcats coming back and you know, if even if they can get into the grand final, like I think it's still possible because now it's now like you just have to win those games in front of you. Like the well, record you, doesn't count. Did you see our friend John really with the Ted Lasso shirt on after the game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was and wearing the, in the presser. Yeah. So again, I think the Wildcats have every. I think these guys are very similar to what we said about the Mavericks at the start. I can see the Wildcats beating anyone on their night. But to be honest, I can't really see them going to Melbourne, then going to Tassie, and then going to Sydney and winning all three of them. Because, again, how many two-game winning streaks have they had all season? I don't think there's been many. So hopefully they prove me wrong. I'm able to go to the game this weekend in Melbourne. So it'll be nice to check that out. But who knows? Hopefully they can get through to Tassie. But, again, they just need to focus on beating Southeast Melbourne. And again, because of the awards night with the NBL, they flew out to Melbourne yesterday. So if they do win these games, they're going to be on the road for at least six days just to get through to Sydney. Yep. And again, that's another punishment for them, rightfully so for finishing sixth, that to keep winning and keep progressing, they're going to have a long road trip. And again, we know from the history of sport that that will take its toll. But yeah, I think the best thing about the Wildcats is it saved uh, the jobs of Danny Mills for another year. It saved Hutchie's 
PR relationship in Perth for another year and it allows them time to have a postseason run. And at the very least, it gives them an off-season to address some of the issues with this team that have become obvious again down the stretch. Glaring, as they say. All right, we're, we're just about uh, finishing up here. I will go to a question that someone sent in. If you want to send us questions, you can um, send them on uh, Instagram Messenger. Backchat underscore basketball is our handle there. And then you can email us, hello at backchatpodcast.com.au. Hit us up on Twitter as well. You're um, Ben Malice. I'm Dan underscore Const, I think. Or maybe there's no underscore. I don't know. Just if you just search Dan Const, you'll find me there. Um, let's go to this question here from Nick Tan. Always comes through with a good question. Uh, should there be, this is in regards to the NBA, should there be a relegation slash promotion system in the NBA and G League? as another anti-tanking measure. It'll also improve teamwork in the G League, which is very true. I think G League often is a showcase for one player to try and get up into the NBA. Um, And so there is a lot of hero ball at times. What do you think about this promotion slash relegation system? And and I will say it's been a bit of talk around the AFL as well about this. Could Could they pull this sort of thing off? Yeah, see, I love relegation promotion systems. Like we've spoken this before, the EPL is probably my favourite league in the world with how important all these games are. So as a concept, I love the idea of relegation. It just doesn't work in the NBA, though, because the 30 G League teams are obviously owned by the 30 NBA teams. So in this situation, you could have a scenario where pick a team, the Mavericks NBA team and G League team are in the same league over the course of the season. And kind of like we see happen in F1, that the big team, the big dog, is not going to let their lesser team win. The lesser team's going to roll over yeah. and it's going to compromise the entire That's right. intensity and um, efficacy of the league. So, again, I'm all for increased measures in the NBA to stop teams from tanking. But it must be said that the way the incentive structure works in the NBA, and we're seeing, I think we're about to see over the next two months, with Vector Wimbayama coming in from France, that teams mm-hmm. are going to be losing a lot of games. I don't think there's any way around it. So yep. all for relegation promotion, I think it would work well in AFL actually, but with the NBA and the G League, probably there isn't the split between ownership that's going to allow that to prosper. If the, if the G League was purely like a second tier um, league that wasn't owned by teams, I mean, this is whole, completely hypothetical. I think it would be a very cool thing. Like like I'm with you, the promotion relegation thing is awesome, even though for me, my um, uh, you know, soccer team that I follow is Swansea, who have been relegated. Um, they, you know, wow. haven't, they haven't been in the Premier League for a little while now. It is tough when your team gets relegated, but that sweet, sweet um, feeling and that... It's the that best part feeling, of it. That's right, yeah. So, so I was talking to someone about this uh, yesterday because they were asking me if I, like what um, EPL team I followed, and I said Swansea, and they're like, "What? That's the that's the weirdest EPL team for someone in Perth, Australia, to be following." Even though, you know, anyways, regardless, that's beside the point. And they said the promotion win when a team gets promoted into the Premier League is almost a greater feeling than the Premier League teams winning the championship. Yeah. It is. I'm a Leeds United fan. So this happened two years ago during COVID. We'd been relegated for 16 years and just couldn't get over the hill and get back to the Premier League. And then 2020, we finally got up to the Premier League and it was amazing because we won the second tier league. And even last year, we're talking a bit of soccer here, but Leeds (laughs) finished fourth from bottom. And so the bottom three teams get relegated and Leeds didn't secure their spot as the fourth worst team until the last minute of the last game on the last day of the season. And the euphoria of scoring that 90th minute goal to stay up was as good as getting promoted because it meant you got to stay in the league for another year. 
And then you step back now and go, damn, we finished 17th. We lost, we won eight games out of 38 for the whole year. But <laughs> it was like an amazing experience. Yeah. So again, I think if the G League was truly independent, it would be amazing in the NBA. I think generally every sport around the world would deal better with a relegation promotion season because it just wipes out tanking, doesn't it? Like you mentioned yep. Swansea. I remember when they were in EPL when Leeds were lingering in the lower leagues and I wanted to be a Swansea fan so bad at the time because <laughs> they were playing in the Premier League and it can all switch up. So, yeah, I think relegation is a great idea. Let's just uh, figure out a different way to make it happen. That's right. Well, uh, as the, as you're listening to this, there could be – Huge, huge changes in the NBA landscape across the league with players moving. Trade deadline is always one of the most exciting times of the league. So apologies to anyone listening to this thinking, well, this is outdated because Kyrie Irving, um, as Luka Doncic is no longer even on the Mavericks. He's now playing for Phoenix and they you know, they got nine first-round picks for him, uh, which, which definitely would not happen. But um, it is a very exciting time and... Uh, when we chat next, we'll be able to talk through the post-trade deadline because um, it happens on Friday morning. And we can also talk about the awards again, the NBL awards. Why not? Because uh, they're doing their job, I guess, in making us talk about the NBL, even though, um, like you said, it could just be done much quicker and much easier. Um, and hopefully Greg will be back. We're going to be co- uh, keeping to do these um, online sort of things. I'm going to send you a mic. I got to, I got to do that. You I was going to do that before you before you left, but I'm sorry, I, I, I lagged a bit there. Uh, you're, you're running the biggest podcast in the country. I can uh, hold off on the <laughs> microphone for another week. Just uh, if anyone's in Perth this week, please go and give Dan a big hug and uh, yeah, tell him it's going to be okay. Yeah, who knows? In two days, I might be the happiest Mavs fan in the world oh. if they make some good moves and we've got a championship team. I- can 100% see, 100% see you talking yourself into this in about four weeks' time. Because oh, yeah. Kyrie's, Kyrie's good for this. He's going to drop 51 night. Yep. Luke is going to put up 20, 20, and 15. Yep. And they're just going to tease you in just to rip your heart out in the playoffs. But we'll get yep. to that later in the year. All right, mate. Well, we'll chat to you next time. <laughs> you got to go eat that dinner. It's getting cold. you have to microwave it again. I will. I will. Just don't tell anyone. 